want me to give you a five? Do you want a five minute wave at the when you're it's time to wrap up? Thank you. Hi everybody, alcoholic Johnny C. And I thank God and Alcoholics Anonymous for my life today. It is truly a blessing and an honor and a privilege to be sober today. And I'd like to thank Pax and the group for asking me to come and share my experience, strength, and hope today. Um, and thank you, everybody who did service, Nicole, Jimmy, and whoever else did service. Um, like I said, I'm an alcoholic who can't drink one day at a time. And um, my sobriety date is uh, December the 16th. 1988. And just for today, I haven't found it necessary to pick up that first drink. I have a sponsor, my sponsor has a sponsor, my sponsor's sponsor has a sponsor. And I make a lot of meetings and I do a lot of service. It's important for a drunk like me. I was born in Alabama and um, raised in Jersey. And uh, I was raised by old grandparents and they did the best that they could with me. Um, and I loved them dearly. Um, I, was, I was raised in, in, in um, Montclair in Nook, New Jersey. And uh, my grandparents was uh, very old protective and they used to like, um, just, I couldn't do anything. And I like to say that I came from a long line of drunks, you know. My grandfather died from this disease and I can say that today because mm -hmm. he's no longer with us. My uncle and my aunt who also have raised me. I remember um, the first time that um, I saw um, somebody drink alcohol in my family it was my aunt Sarah. And she lived in the bars and she died in the bars. You know, um, I had a very good upbringing. Like I said, my grandparents was very, very overprotective for me. My father got killed when I was three months old. He got killed in the service. He didn't die in, 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 in action. They was going to play ball down in, in the South and uh, the Jeep turned over and it split his leg open and he bled out. And my mother just up and just left me. And uh, she had a nervous breakdown and she was very young and she left me. And so my grandparents took care of me and I'm grateful for that today. So uh, when, we, when, when, when um, I was a little girl, we moved up to um, Montclair, New Jersey and I went to school there. And I was raised with my uncle and my aunts. And I used to love my aunt Sarah. She was like, um, because she would always take me out, you know, like to buy me ice cream and take me with my first cousin, you know. But before she came up from the South, it was just me and in my room with my toys and stuff. And um, as a young child, I didn't feel like I belonged to anyone or to anybody because my uncle would get drunk. He was much older than me. And he was a baby of my grandparents and he was jealous of me. And so he would always tell me that there wasn't my father and that wasn't my mother. And I felt like I didn't belong to anyone or anything. And I didn't know, you know, at a very young age that what had happened with my dad and my mom, I learned, I met my mother when I was 14, 13 years old. So I went to school and I came home and, um, and I lived a very good life. I had my own room and everything was fine. And when the kids would be out playing on the block, I couldn't come out. I would have to look out the window. Or if I came downstairs, my, my grandparents would take turns looking out the window watching me. And that's how I grew up. 
So I said, if I ever get a chance, you know, I rebelled against it. And if I ever get a chance, I'm going to leave that, that place, that house. And a day at a time, we have to be careful what we pray for, because um, eventually a day at a time, it happened. And what happened, I like to say that when I was going to school, I would always go around the corner to this bar called Holdies on Belmont Avenue in New Jersey. And my aunt would be in this bar and it had sawdust on the floor. It was dirty, nasty, and stinky, loved it. It had the smell of alcohol and stale beer and cigarette smoke. It was real long and they was playing Marvin Gaye, The Temptations and and smoking the miracles and the Supremes. And, and I said, I just can't wait to get around in that ball. I just can't wait. I enjoyed the night lights and, you know. And eventually I, um, I picked up my first drink about 13 years old because um, I used to go around the corner. My aunt lived around the corner for me and my grandparents. And I used to go around there and, um, one night my aunt was out in the bar across the street and she said she left, I don't want my machine to go up when I say this, a bottle of Alexis and a pack of um, Chesterfield cigarettes. And we drank it and we smoked cigarettes. Well, my grandfather, he tanned me real good. And then the next time I picked up a drink was, um, we lived around the corner on Charlton Street and the projects, Prince Street projects was over from Charlton Street and I used to go around the corner. I always gravitated towards older people, older kids older than me or kids that wasn't being nice, you know. And I would go around the corner and um, we would go up on the roof and we would drink and then eventually, you know, picked up some of that smoke and all of that stuff. I call it alcohol cousins. And a day at a time, um, I used to go to school. And I remember going to school and getting ready to graduate from the eighth grade to go to high school. And my grandparents took me down, took me shopping. And I remember I used to always have to wear black and white Oxfords, Bobby socks, black and white Oxfords, and a dress with the tie and three braids in my hair. And my grandmother, she bathed me until I was like 13, 14 years old. And I really resented that. I wanted to go outside and be with the other kids, but she wouldn't allow me to do that. And so um, when I got in high school and I would go meet my aunt at the bar for money and stuff, stand outside. One day I went around there and that was this long Cadillac and um, it was this guy that was in there. He had just came from Trent State Prison. And I knew the other guy, you know, from the neighborhood. And he was like, let us take you home. And I was like, no, 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 that's okay. No, my grandparents wouldn't like that. And so I kept seeing them at the bar, parked outside. And, and that old man, he was 15 years older than me. He was always, you know, hit on me. And one day I got in the car and they took me home and I ended up, getting married to this man. He was, he was 15 years older than me. And I eloped and ran off with him to, Bell, to Baltimore. And uh, we got uh, married. And when we came back and I had to tell my grandparents that I was moving out of the house, my grandfather brought a hunting gun from Alabama and he shot up at the lake and he shot at my husband. 
And when we drove off, I looked back and I can remember my grandfather with this look on his face. And my grandmother was just shaking her head. So I ended up being able, when I became of age, to go in the bars. And I can remember the first time that I went in the bar on Springfield Avenue in North New Jersey. It was called Jackson Lounge. And I thought that I had arrived. I had on this cute suede suit. I've always worn glasses. And I used to wear the, uh, the, the, the spoon around my neck, a little gold spoon. And my husband was a, was a hustler. And uh, he went back and forth to prison seven times and he died in prison when I was four years sober. And so I used to love the bar. When I first went in, I had a Cherokee author with, with, with a cherry and stuff. And then I had white label with milk. And they used to play pool in the bar and the, and the music would be gone. And I had a cigarette in my mouth and I had my legs crossed. And I thought that I had arrived and I was in heaven. I loved it. And I didn't know that this is a fatal progressive disease and it doesn't stay little and cute. And so I sit in that bar year after year, day after day, day after day, and I didn't do nothing. I had kids. My husband went back and forth to prison, like I said. And every time he would go to prison, I would, I would not drink, you know, I would not hang out in the bars. As soon as he came home, I would be in the bars. And then the last time that he came home, and I used to have asthma attacks, and so I used to fall out from asthma attacks and I used to have to go to the hospital for treatment. And his money got me good treatment at St. Michael's Hospital. But I remember when he had bought me this big house and two car garage. I had a Cadillac, he had a Lincoln. And uh, one, one day I went to um, the hospital one morning and when I came back, I saw these cars with New York plates on them. And when I went in the house, it was a lot of, men in the house. And um, I started saying that everything in there belonged to me. And my husband simply said, because he was a real man, he simply said, he used to call me stink. He said, I smell like milk because he was 15 years older than me. And he said, go sit down, you know. And um, the feds was there and they took him out of the house and they locked him up. Now I'm young. I got two kids, little two, two little babies. I don't know what to do with myself. So they came and they took the house. They gave me a car. They took everything. They gave me the furniture and they put me in the Dayton Street projects. And when I got down to the Dayton Street projects, I did because I dropped out of school when I, in the 10th grade. My grandparents was devastated and heartbroken, you know, because, you know, being born in the South and raised in the South, my grandparents, their values was different. Their morals was different. And for them to bring me up, you know, to, to the North and for me to be raised and to be performing and carrying on the way I was carrying on and being disobedient was like very hurtful. And, and they were so ashamed of it. And it broke their heart. And so I moved down to Dayton Street Projects. My husband was in prison again and I had these two little bit of babies and I had to get on welfare. And I started doing what my husband was doing. And one day they kicked the door open. Somebody opened it rather. This guy opened the door, he set me up. And I got locked up. 
and my husband got me a good lawyer and I went to Integrity House. I took my kids and I took and put them on the back burner. I took them to my family and I left them there. And I left Integrity House and I came to New York and I've been in New York ever since. So when I got to New York, I thought just maybe I could change my way of living. And I didn't know at the time that we bring ourselves wherever we go. And when I got here, I moved down to um, the Bond Street Hotel in Manhattan, down on Chambers Street. And when I got there, you know, um, I did the same thing. I was drinking and drinking. I brought a few clothes with me. And as a matter of fact, I came with this guy named Red. He just came out of from New Orleans. He had just came out of prison. I was attracted to that kind of insanity. And um, we came to New York together. And I remember um, when we got to the Bond Hotel, it was just a little tiny room. And that's how I lived for a long time until they paid us to move out because they was gonna renovate the, the place. And we would drink and do a lot of other things in there, a lot of, a lot of alcohol cousins. And um, they paid me to move to, um, they paid me to move, move. And I moved over to 25th and Lex. And when I got to 25th and Lex, I got this really nice big studio with the, some of the money that they had paid me to move with. It was one big bed, it was a little kitchen and, uh, and everything. And when I ended up there in September of 1988, September the 29th, a lot of things happened in between from the time that I moved from the Bond Hotel over to the 26th in Lexington in Manhattan. I was, I was like, you know, on welfare, you know, I was going down and getting money from welfare. And then one day I went around the corner and I didn't have a check at the check cashing place. And this is how I was living. And um, I remember um, I fell down three flights of stairs in the building and I broke my ankle in three different places. And they had to put a cast on it. And one day we was around the corner drinking that Thunderbird because, you know, through the years, it was great, you know. It was a lot of money, a lot of partying, a lot of coming to New York. I was in a head-on-head -head collision accident. Me and my husband was coming from New York. As a result of that, I have to wear dark glasses because uh, it broke my nose. My eye was messed up. I have a piece in my eye. And uh, it's just only through the grace of God that I didn't die because this drunk, drunken guy, he jumped the the, the divider and hit us head on head collision. And they had to fly me to New York where they patched me up and fixed my nose and fixed everything. And so as a result of that, I have to wear like real tinted glasses because the light blinds me because of the piece in my eye. My eye is not messed up, but um, you know, I can't see. And so um, getting back to um, 26 and Lexington Avenue, like I said, this is a fatal progressive disease and it doesn't stay little and cute. And it had progressed from being cute in the bar down to Thunderbird, Old English 800, Little Debbie's and a greasy chicken leg. 
wow. And I still didn't think that anything was wrong with me. And so that day when I went around the corner and there was no more money and I went down on 14th street in Manhattan to the welfare center and it was taking too long and I couldn't stay in there. So I left out and that was it. I didn't have no more income coming in. And I didn't pay rent. So on um, September the 29th, 1988, they came and they evicted me. And you know, I don't know if anybody on this platform has ever been uh, evicted from their home or apartment, but the marshals give you like five minutes to get your belongings or actually just leave what you got on. And at that time I had brought a lot of clothes over, London fall clothes and the other stuff probably was sold. And I had on these jeans and I had on these little half of boots. And this was in September of 88 and they evicted me. And I gotta tell you this, cause I don't ever wanna forget where I came from because y'all told me that if I forget where I came from, I'm doomed to repeat it. And my life is too good today to repeat any of that living. I was living on nasty, dirty black sheets, you know, when we were taking and put the laundry in a supermarket cart, cause I didn't have a real laundromat cart and go around to the laundromat, we never ended up washing the clothes because, you know, we pick up some more Thunderbird, some of that stuff, old English, be around there on the corner talking, talking trash and just talking, moving from one corner to the next corner. And then the man put us out of the laundromat and we got to come back with the same more wet up dirty clothes. And I throw them back in the closet. And that's how I lived. So the day that they came to evict me, everybody went to Queens and the Bronx, wherever they was living at. And by this time, I like to say that my hair was like matted on my head. I had never had a perm. I was all swollen from the use and abuse of alcohol and other things. You know, and I had to go out in the streets and I couldn't go back to Jersey because I didn't want to see my kids see me living like that. And I had never, ever went back to see my kids, I think maybe a couple of times. And I remember my husband coming from Atlantic City saying to me, stop promising those kids that you're going to come and see them because you know you can't show up and, you, and, you, and you're not going to come and see them. So I ended up going down to the Moravian house. I was in the streets by myself and I went down to 29th Street and Lexington Avenue. And they tell you at the door that you can't drink in there. And see, when I pick up Thunderbird and Old English 800 and start smoking cigarettes, I fight, I curse. I'm a raging alcoholic and I don't know how to hold my alcohol. And so I got in there and they caught me in the bathroom drinking some Thunderbird and they put me out and now I'm out in the street. And I went around the corner on 27th and 2nd Avenue to this building and it was this man's house. And he would let anybody come inside and do whatever. It was, any, it was just whatever you wanted to do in there. And I had no money and no place to live and I couldn't go back to Jersey. So I stayed around there, in and out, in and out. And then at the end, it was, I was getting like 
a lot of blackouts, a lot of seizures, you know, asthma attacks. And, 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 and Bellevue Hospital, it was like just right over the block on First Avenue. And I ended up going in and out of Bellevue Hospital. And I remember this one particular night, I used to sit in the, in the, in the emergency room, but this particular night I was sitting in there cause I used to go in there and drink Thunderbird and get put out. The security guards were like, let's go. And then I, I stayed in there. And that's why I always say it's only through the grace of God that I'm here today that I went and I saw a doctor and this Chinese doctor simply said to me, you're in good health. There's nothing wrong with you, except you got a problem with alcohol and drugs. Now, you know, they took my blood test and I'm looking at this lady with these glasses, with tape on the side, tape in the middle, tape over here and they cocked to the side. I'm all swollen up from the use and abuse all looking a hot mess with this little pink jacket on, all dirty, nasty, and, and, and stinky. It's in November. It's cold outside, and it used to get real cold in New York back in the 80s. And I'm thinking I'm cute, and I'm sitting there telling this lady, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, you have a problem, and you need to go and get further help. You need to go into a detox. So I left there, and I went to um, down over on Worth Street. And I went to a shelter because I had nowhere to go. And I went to a shelter in, in Queens and then I came out to a Brooklyn shelter, woman's shelter. And when I got out to the woman's shelter, I was standing in line one day and I like to say I had a spiritual awakening. And I was standing in line and I was like, these women was like animals. They was fighting over this little boxes of cereal and all of this stuff. So I ended up um, asking them for um, tokens. And I got on the train and I came up to the East Broadway and, um, and I asked the doctor, cause I was on the, the clinic up there. And I asked the doctor for a referral. And she gave me a referral to uh, Bernstein Detox. And I went into the detox and I didn't have no birth certificate. I had no social security card. I had on this little pink jacket and I had a corn in the, in the, in the pocket. It was ripped in the lining of the pocket that says, Jesus have mercy on me. So I went back to the shelter, came back over to the um, five o'clock in the morning to the downstairs in the emergency room at Beth Israel. And they sent me over to the waiting room and Bernstein. And again, it was only through the grace of God that I got in there. And when the guy came up and asked me for my Medicaid card or whatever, I didn't have anything, not even a birth certificate. And his name was Bernard because he was, I found out later on that he was in my home group, New Life and Sobriety across the park. So he took me in and he helped me get um, Medicaid from welfare and I got into detox. And I remember one night I had, I, I, I was sitting outside by the nurse's station and it was this nurse, this, um, he was a guy and I had low self-esteem and low self-worth. My skin was all broken out. I had black marks all over my skin. And like I said, the glasses was just a hot mess. I couldn't even see out of them. 
And um, he said, you know, you don't have to ever do this again if you come in here and that you admit that you're powerless over alcohol. And I didn't know what that meant. He said, but you need to reach out and ask for help. And he guided me to a, a social worker the next morning downstairs. And she gave me a referral to go to a three month rehab. And I went to that rehab. But I like to say when I got to that detox, I was grateful for the macaroni and cheese, the sweet potatoes and the clean white sheets. I was grateful just to be able to sit still. But I couldn't sit still because I was kicking like four or five habits. I was sick. I was real sick. And I couldn't be still. I had the twitches and all of that stuff. And so I ended up going through the three-month rehab. And in that rehab, they, the, the, the social worker put in the re, uh, um, application for this apartment that I'm in now, almost 31 years. And she put in the application um, for um, a job for me. And when I got out of that three-month rehab, I went up to uh, Jane Hotel down in the village. And I ended up over at um, Perry Street in the Lower East Side. And I got a, a room over in Woodhaven. And then I came and I got this apartment. But before that, I, I, my first meeting was at Perry Street and then New Life and Sobriety. And when I got to New Life and Sobriety, I was um, so grateful, so grateful to be in a room. And I'm about three, three months sober. And I got a job when I was 120 days sober, working for welfare. And I can tell you this, when I got to new life and sobriety, I had low self-esteem and low self-worth. But when I sit in the back of the room, I was able to listen because y'all told me that you would love me until I learned how to love myself. You told me to get a sponsor, make 90 meets in 90 days. You told me that it's the first drink that would get me drunk. And I didn't know anything about the first drink because I never ever in my life had one drink. But you told me that it's the first drink that would set off that phenomenal craving. And I didn't know anything about that. You said a lot of things. And I didn't understand anything about the, 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 the steps, the traditions, the, um, I didn't understand anything about Alcoholics Anonymous or anything about anything, but I came in and I did what y'all told me to do. I sit down and I took the cotton out of my ears and I put it in my big mouth and I learned how to listen and listen and learn. And I didn't come in here and analyze this program. I came in here and I learned how to utilize it. And they told me that the fellowship will help get me sober, but it won't keep me sober. So I had to come in here and I had to get a sponsor and I had to get on the 12 step program of recovery. And I like to say, if it's anyone new or just coming back, please stay. This program works, it's the individual that fails. I always believe in a God, a higher power. I didn't, never had a problem with it. I just had abandoned him and I thought that he had abandoned me. So I came in here and I just didn't drink, make me, I made meetings, I got a job, I went back to school. You know, I got a, a, a computer a, a certifications 
I couldn't get my uh, bachelor's degree because I started traveling a lot. So I had to come in here and I had to learn how to um, surrender to the first step and not have no reservations. And then I had to have an open mind in that second step, you know. And in the third step, I had to like have some faith and I had to reach out and ask for help. And I didn't know how to do that. And I remember Phil saying that it took him a long time in that third step to see the word care. That if I come in here and take the action that God would care for me. And I can tell you today that I have truly been taken care of once I came in here and gave myself a break and I sit down because I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I had picked um, acceptance and acceptance is the answer to all our problems. And it's the key to my recovery because I couldn't stop drinking until I accepted that I was an alcoholic and that I couldn't drink no matter what. And then I had to come in here and I had to really start cleaning house because I had started acting out in the first, second, third, and fourth year, you know. And I remember Phil saying, it's time for you to finish up your fourth step. But in the fourth step, I had a lot of fear based around that fourth step. I didn't, you know, see, I came from a Southern family. They didn't talk about anything, what was going on. My grandfather, didn't, I didn't even, you know, half of the time knew he was drunk or anything. So I didn't want to come in here and tell you people anything about me. And really, I didn't even know how to express my feelings. I didn't even know what I was feeling. The only thing that I was used to feeling was anger. You know, a lot of stuff that would make me drink. And that's the only thing that I knew how to do. And I had to come in here and y'all taught me how to laugh again. You taught me how to love. You taught me how to be a human being. You taught me how to be a lady. And you told me that I had to let go or get dragged. And you told me that I had to come in here and learn how to listen to somebody. See, and I've never ever had I know in my vocabulary. And, and even today, I don't know anything. I get up in the morning and I pray and I ask God to get in my head before I do. And I had to learn how to pray early on because I remember Phil saying, always pray and ask God to keep you here, keep you sober, to keep you from self-will run riot and to keep you where your feet is at in your own body. And so when I was able to sit down and write a fourth step, because I was busy in school working and doing a lot of stuff, but I was able to finish up my fourth step. And then I was able to sit down with Phil, he's in the big book. He lived only to drink. He passed away about five years ago. But my sponsor, she said that she didn't do steps, that she lived the steps and that she was taught to incorporate the steps in her life. So I went through my steps with Phil. I asked him to take me through my steps. And so I sit down and I um, did my fifth step with Phil. And I'm so grateful because um, I got butt naked honest and I just vomited in my fifth step to him. And I got real honest. 
because you know we deal with insidious, baffling, and cunning and powerful disease. And after we've been here for a while, it'll start telling us a lot of stuff because it's centers between centers right in our head. And I gotta always remember that I came in here with the gift of desperation, you know. And then when I remember when I finished doing the fifth step with Phil, he said, you gotta like become willing. You gotta become willing. And then I had to start working on some character defects and working on Johnny C. And I had to find out that um, all of the things that happened to me in my life was because of alcoholism. And he said, don't ever make anyone make you feel guilty about your alcoholism. Cause I started feeling guilty about leaving my kids in Jersey and not being accountable for them and allowing somebody else to raise them. Because see, my mother didn't raise me. She couldn't, she ran off and left me. And then, you know, like um, in the eighth step, I had to learn how to forgive. I had to forgive myself first. He said, put yourself on the list first. And I did. And I didn't know how to forgive myself, you know. I didn't know how to feel my feelings. I used to eat my feelings and I gained 200 pounds in this fellowship because I didn't know how to feel my feelings. All I knew how to do was to act on my feelings, drink my feelings away. And you know, um, the ninth step when I was able to make amends, I made amends to myself first and then to my kids. And one of my kids didn't accept my amends. And he said, no worries, put it on the back burner. You powerless over that situation. Ain't nothing you could do with that. And a day at a time, I had to meet her where she's at. And we good today. And you know, um, he told me to stay on step one, two, and three. Always remember that I'm powerless over situation and that God could restore me to sanity. And that as long as I reach out, and I ask for help and I trust the process and trust God and don't pick up that first drink that my life will get better and better and better and everything around me will get better. That all I had to do was to give time, time. And in that 10th and 11th and 12th step, which is the maintenance steps for me today, the 10th step is like a daily patience. I have to always review my day. When I put my head on the pill at night, I asked myself, did I have any wrong motives today? Did I hurt or harm anyone? And when I get up in the morning, I pray and I ask God to get in my head. I pray to God and then I meditate and I listen for him to speak through me. And the 11th step, I had to really embrace that first, third and 11th step because one day I was, at my desk and I had been in the rooms for a long time and I had been through the steps two, three, four times. And I got a call from my daughter. She worked on the turnpike and she said that her brother had just got killed, my oldest child. And, uh, and I couldn't move, I was paralyzed. But I was able to think it through because y'all taught me that. And the lady from personnel, she was my friend and she came down and she said, you go, I'll take care of the paperwork. And I remember I called 
Phil. And he said, go get on the train, go home, pack your bags and call somebody. And one of my sponsees, Veronica is on this call. And I called her, she was on her job. She said, I'll meet you at, um, at the path. And I got on the train and I was numb. And when I got home, Phil was on the phone with me and he said, you can't drink. And I got angry. And I said, I'm not trying to drink. I'm not thinking drink. He said, an alcoholic always think drink and the disease is always thirsty. And even when we think we don't feel like drinking, that's why we have to stay with all four and stay in the middle of this herd. And we have to walk this walk and not just talk it. Cause you know, as alcoholism is a talking disease. Cause I used to talk a lot of trash sitting up on the bar stool, a lot of trash. And so we all bring that into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we don't change until we change that old way of thinking and that old behavior. And so I thank God for that first, second and third step because I had to embrace that first step and I had to go to Jersey and bury my son. And I didn't pick up a drink because you always there to love me to nourish me back to health. And then my grandson, he got killed a couple of years ago and I didn't find it necessary to pick up a drink. So no matter what we go through in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, we don't have to pick up that first drink. All we gotta do is stay connected to this program. You know, I had to come in here and change me and I had to learn how to keep the focus on me and not on, 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 on what was going on over there. And, and, and I had to learn this a day at a time. It didn't come overnight. And I thank God that I have recovered from a mental state of mind and body. And that I know if I pick up that drink, I know the results. As my friend Lufus always say, I'm a real alcoholic. See, I'm not a teetotaler. I drank 24 seven. I had holes in my shoes when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I didn't have nothing. I was homeless, helpless, penniless, and just pitiful. So Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a life beyond my wildest dreams. I do a lot of service. I do a lot of service at detox and treatment centers in the jails and in my home group. I'm the overall chair and I'm the program chairperson. I really believe that service enhances our sobriety, but it doesn't keep us sober. Staying away from that first drink keeps us sober and getting a sponsor and incorporating and applying the 12 steps of this program in our lives. You know, I had to learn how to accept where I'm at in my life. I had to accept being comfortable in my own skin, you know. So many things have happened to me since I've been sober, almost 33 years. Because 33 years ago this time, I was out in the streets homeless and I was a hot mess. And today, my kids love me. 
My grandkids has never ever seen me get drunk up or how. I have a, 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 an apartment, which is people can say is material things, but it's people have homes. I didn't have one. I didn't know how to go to the supermarket and buy food. I didn't know how to have a car. I had one, but I didn't know how to take care of it. You know, I sold my cat when I was over there on 26 in Lexington. Solar, solar. Took three hours, threw in the box and we sold her. Today I have a cat that I adopted from Westchester and I named her Poland. And it is the, that's who I woke up with this morning, Poland. And I love this cat. And I would spend my last nickel and dime on this cat and couldn't nobody take and put her in a box and sell her today, you know. You know, I love Alcoholics Anonymous and I had to come in here and I had to learn how to let things go. And I had to, um, I just had to be where my feet is at, you know. So I like to say if anyone is new or just coming back, my time is almost up. I like to say, if you're new or you're just coming back, please stay. And if anyone is going through any situation today, please know that uh, picking up a drink is not going to help you. So I want to thank everybody on this platform. I want to thank the, the members from Caucus for coming to support me, um, all of the people who came out and to supported me on this platform tonight. I hope I said something to help someone. And um, I'm all over the place because my allergies and sinuses are all over the place. But uh, I'm, I'm sober today. So thank you so much, Nicole and everybody. Thanks for keeping me sober another day. Love you guys. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you so much, Johnny C. Um, 